G'day, my name is Jeff. It's Jeff. It's uh, my privilege to look with you at this second passage in 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 12 to 22. Can I encourage you to have a Bible open? We're going to read through it. Again, it's a little, the language is a little tricky, so it'd be really helpful for you to have your Bible open. Let's have a read through these verses, think about what they mean and how they apply to us. Also, can I encourage you again to remember, it'd be a really good idea to read 2 Corinthians from start to finish at some stage over these next couple of weeks, so that over these next few months, as we look at it just bit by bit, you'll have a sense of the big picture of the whole letter. Um, And at the end, I'm not promising anything, but at the end, I think there will be time for questions if I don't talk too much. So uh, if you've got a a question that you think would be helpful for everybody to hear the answer to, then uh, you're very welcome to ask at the end. Let's ask God for his help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your mercy and kindness to us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you've made such great promises to us through him. Thank you that you keep your promises. Help us as we look at your word now to trust you and to find great comfort and joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favourite poems is by the Scottish poet Robert Burns. It's called To a Mouse, a very famous poem. Uh, In fact, here's a picture of a member of our congregation. Uh, On his trip to Scotland, he visited with uh, a statue of the mouse. Uh, So he or he already knows about it. At least that's two of us in the congregation. Uh, the, uh, The background to the poem is this. Robbie Burns was a farmer. And one day he was plowing in his field and he disturbed a mouse's nest. The mouse abandoned its nest and ran away in terrified panic. In response, Burns wrote his poem to the mouse, and he reflects on how that mouse had invested so much time, so much energy into building the nest, finding all the stuff to make the nest, putting it together, gathering food, storing it all in the nest, ready for winter. A lot of planning, a lot of scheming, a lot of hard work went into the creation of that nest. And the mouse the mouse was probably feeling quite satisfied with itself. I'm all set for winter, it was probably thinking. I've schemed hard. I love it when a plan comes together. I've worked hard. I've done everything I need to do. All my schemes have been successful. Now I'm going to be warm. I'm going to be dry. I'm going to be well fed through these cold, wet months to come. But now... Because of what Robbie Burns has done with his plough, all the mouse's schemes, all the mouse's plans and hard work, it's all been ruined. It's all come to nothing, destroyed by this farmer and his plough. And in the poem, Burns reflects on how life is often like that. You make your plans, you make your schemes, you work hard, you you, you get everything set up and you think it's going to bring you joy. You think, I'm all set. Fantastic. But then your plans get ruined. Let me read a couple of the most famous lines from the poem. It's, It's written in Scottish dialect and my Scottish accent's pretty dodgy, I have to admit, but you should get the gist. It goes something like this. The best laid schemes of mice and men gang aft a glare <laughs> and lay us not but grief and pain for a promised joy. <laughs> Thank, you much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here all week. Um, <laughs> the 
The best laid schemes of mice and men gang aft a glare. It's true, isn't it? Our, our plans, our schemes, they often go awry, as we would say it. That'd be our word for it, awry. They, 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 don't, they don't work out as we hope. That's, that's a sad fact of life. And, and, and what it means is this. It means we can't always keep our promises. We, we, we can plan to do something. We can hope to do something. We can tell other people that we're going to do something. We can promise to do something. But we can't always do what we say we'll do. Our word can't always be trusted. And as we come into this next section of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that's what's happened to the Apostle Paul. He'd made some travel plans. He'd planned to make a couple of visits, two visits to these churches in Corinth. And he told them, this is my plan, this is what I'm hoping to do, visit you twice. But Paul's best laid plans had gung a glare. Uh, he, he, he didn't visit Corinth the way that he said that he would. And the thing is, as Paul is now writing, there are some false teachers who come to Corinth. We'll meet them later on in the letter. And they are trying to get the Corinthians to believe them instead of Paul. And now they've seen their opportunity. Well, that's just typical, they were saying. Just typical. You cannot trust a word that bloke Paul says. He promised to visit you, did he? Where is he? I don't see him anywhere. What's happened to this promise? What's happened to this word of this so-called truthful man? Was he tricking you? Was he playing with you? You can't trust Paul even on a simple thing like whether he's going to come and see you or not. And so they were saying, you certainly can't trust him on something really important. Like, you can't trust him to give you the true message about Jesus and eternal life. So forget all that stuff this untrustworthy person has said listen to us instead see the background Paul addresses this issue and he starts off by saying first thing he says he says my conscience is clear he's convinced that he's dealt with the Corinthians with integrity he's convinced he's dealt with them with sincerity he told them the truth he's told them the truth about his travel plans as best he could he didn't have any hidden agendas. He wasn't trying to exploit them in any way. No, no, in the power of God's grace, he has sought to serve them. He's convinced he's done the right thing by them. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 12. Have a look with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 12. Now, this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we've conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. We've done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. Paul goes on to talk, about the, to talk about the letters that he's written to the Corinthians, previous letters, this present letter. He says, he says we're not trying to trick you. We're not trying to hide anything. We're, we're trying to write clearly to you. We're trying to be upfront with you. No hidden agendas, no attempt to exploit you. And he says, you've understood something of who we are and what we're trying to do. What we're really hoping is that you'll understand clearly that you can trust us. You can, you can boast of us, is the word that he uses. We want you to fully understand that you can trust us so that on that last day when we all stand before Jesus, we can, we can boast, we can rejoice in each other. Verse 13. For we do not write to you anything you cannot read or understand. And I hope that as, as you've understood us in part, 
you'll come to understand fully that you can boast of us, just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul wants the Corinthians to understand and to know that they can trust him. He wants them to benefit eternally from him and his message. And that's what was going on in his previous plans to visit them. He wanted to visit them on his way to Macedonia and then on his way from Macedonia and then get them to help him on his trip to Jerusalem. We're going to learn a lot more about that later on in the letter. And all these plans were made to benefit them, to benefit them so that he would teach them, to benefit them so that they could participate with him in the work of the gospel and supporting his ministry. And Paul says he didn't make these plans lightly, he didn't make them frivolously or flippantly. This is what he was genuinely intending to do. Verse 15, because I was confident of this, I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I, both, I say both yes, yes, and no, no? He was acting with integrity when he made his travel plans. He was trying to do the right thing. He was trying to act for the good of the Corinthians. He was acting seriously. He considered what he was doing. But if you jump with me to verse 23, you'll see that things just didn't happen the way Paul planned. Can you see it there in verse 23? Verse 23, Paul says, I did not return to Corinth, as, as he said that he would. Or we can see it again, chapter 2 and verse 1. Chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul says, I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. Paul didn't come back to Corinth as planned. He didn't come back to Corinth as, as he said that he would do. We're going to talk about the reasons why next week. But, but before we get to that, Paul wants to make one thing perfectly clear. One thing that Paul wants to make clear, and it's become a teaching opportunity for Paul here, he wants to make this clear, God's plans are not like his plans. God's plans are not like Paul's plans. Paul's plans sometimes gang a glare. Uh, Sometimes Paul can't keep his promises. What Paul said about his travel plans proved to be untrue. But what he and Silas and Timothy said about Jesus is absolutely true. God has made promises in Jesus, promises to forgive you if you trust in Jesus. Promises to save you from God's judgment if you trust in Jesus. Promises to give you eternal life if you trust in Jesus. And God is never going to go back on those promises. He will never say no to those promises. If you are relying on Jesus, every promise that God has made to forgive you and save you and bring you to heaven will be yes. You can say amen to them. You can build your life. You can build your eternity on these promises. Nothing is going to stop God from keeping them. You can build your eternity on these promises because they are true. Verse 18. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but but in him it's always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so, through him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. 
God's promises in Jesus are yes, they are true. And God has guaranteed it, Paul says, by giving us the Holy Spirit, by giving everyone who relies on Jesus the Spirit of God, his Spirit who will help you to keep confessing Jesus as Lord, trusting God as your Father, his Spirit who will give you a taste of heaven now and hold on to you to the very end. Verse 21. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. All right. All right, can you see what's here then in this uh, little section in 2 Corinthians? Again, the language is a little bit difficult, isn't it? And we don't see the other side of the telephone conversation. But can you see what's here? Uh, Paul had planned to visit the Corinthians twice. For reasons that we're going to explore next week, he, he, the plans didn't come to fruition. Paul didn't keep his promise. The false teachers, it seems, were claiming that this proves Paul is untrustworthy. Can't be trusted on something as simple as a promise to visit. Certainly can't be trusted on something as important as the true message about Jesus. So in response here, Paul says two things. First, he says, his conscience is clear. He's acted with integrity. He's acted with sincerity in his dealings with the Corinthians. He made his plans carefully, honestly, with the goal of furthering the gospel and benefiting the Corinthians. Yes, it is true. His plans didn't turn out the way that he hoped. But it doesn't mean they can't trust him. They can trust him. And the second point, second point is this contrast between Paul's word and God's word. God's promises in Jesus are not like Paul's promise to visit them. God can and he will keep his promises in Jesus. He's not going to change his mind. There's not going to be some unexpected eventuality that's going to stop God from doing what he promised. If you rely on Jesus, God has given you his Holy Spirit. He will strengthen you. He'll help you to stand firm to the end and you will make it into eternal life. Okay. Let's think about applying this passage to ourselves then. Our first thing to say is this. Like with the Corinthians, we can trust the Apostle Paul. That's important, isn't it? There are lots of letters in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul. And you can trust. You can trust that he's giving you the true and original message about Jesus. He's not a shyster. He's not a con man. He's not a shonk. He's not trying to trick you. He's not trying to deceive you. He's telling you the truth. The original and correct message about Jesus. There are people around today who say that you can't trust Paul. Partly because they don't like some of the things that he says. Just like in Corinth, there were people who say you can't trust Paul. I remember as soon after I came to this church... Beginning of um, 2001, it was, I started uh, a series on Paul's letter to the Galatians. Uh, before that, in the year 2000, I'd been, oh no, it was the other way around. So it was the beginning of 2000, I started preaching Galatians. 1999, I was preaching, I preached through the book of Luke, like we did last year. And uh, as I started this series on Galatians, a lady came up to me and she said, Jeff, just stick with the Gospels, will you? She said, that, that man, Paul, he was a misogynist. He was a false teacher. You cannot trust what he says. You should not preach on what he says. Just stick with the Gospels. Would have been pretty boring, I reckon, after 25 years to just work on four Gospels. Uh, but there are people today who say you can't trust Paul. Uh, friends, those people are wrong. 
just like the false teachers in Corinth were wrong. Paul's message about Jesus is the true and original message. Uh, second thing to say is this, and this is just wonderful news, um, God's promises are not like ours. God will keep his promises in Jesus. And he's made some great promises to us, hasn't he? Uh, he promises if you rely on Jesus, all your sins are forgiven. Promises to give you his Holy Spirit and to work in you now and to transform you and to hold on to you. And, and at the last day, he promises if you're relying on Jesus, he will raise you to life, transform you completely, and you'll be with him forever in a new heaven and new earth. They are magnificent, eternal, glorious promises. And friends, God's going to keep them. He's not going to change his mind, he's not telling lies. And nothing and no one can stop him. That's good news, isn't it? That is a firm foundation. That's the sort of foundation you can build your life on. The true word of God. Uh, So we can trust the Apostle Paul to tell us the truth about Jesus. We can trust God to keep his promises to us in Jesus. But I just want us to think uh, in a bit more detail about one more point of application. And that's about the relationship between our promises and the gospel. Okay, our promises and the gospel. Now, Paul defends his own integrity here, but I don't think it's because he's proud and I don't think it's because he's desperate to be accepted as a person by these Corinthians. No, no, the reason that Paul defends his integrity is because his integrity will influence people's response to the message. Did you get that? Paul's integrity will influence people's response to his message. Let me me put it in other words. People are not going to believe Paul's message if they don't think they can believe Paul. People are not going to trust Paul's message about Jesus if they don't think they can trust Paul. There's a relationship between the two. It makes sense, doesn't it? If you don't trust someone, you're not going to trust something that they tell you. You're not going to trust a message that they give you. Friends, this is true for us. As is not the only reason for us to tell the truth, we should tell the truth because truth is right and good, but like it or not, the non-Christians in your life will make a connection between your truthfulness and the truth about Jesus. Your non-Christian friends, your non-Christian family, they will find it easier to believe in Jesus if you're the sort of person whose word they trust. They'll find it harder to believe in Jesus if you're the sort of person whose word they can't trust. Do you get the point? And so, friends, what that's going to mean is this. If we want people to believe our message about Jesus, we need to be people of our word. We need to be people of integrity. People who can be trusted. I was having a conversation a few weeks ago with a lady just out here and um, introduced myself to her. She was a newcomer at our church. And I said to her, how did you hear about our church? And she said something like this. She said, I've never really thought much about Christianity, but recently, recently I've been through a hard time, faced some family tragedy, and it's made me ask some questions about life. Uh, then I met a fellow mum at my child's school, a lady who comes to your church. As I got to know her, I realised this is a trustworthy person. 
Here's someone who tells the truth. And I told her about my struggles and told her about my questions. We became friends. And so when she told me that she was a Christian and invited me to come to her church, I came. And so here I am. Friends, I take it that you, like me, would love for your friends and family to put their trust in Jesus. It's something we desperately want, isn't it? What could be more important than sharing eternity with the people that we love? I know it's the thing for me that I want more than anything, for my friends and family to trust Jesus and be there in the new heaven and earth. And Jesus is the only way, isn't he? He is, as he says, the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. The only way is to trust in Jesus' death and resurrection. We want people to trust Jesus, but what that means is this. They need to be able to trust us. And so we need to ask ourselves some questions. Am I a person who tells the truth? Am I someone you can trust to tell the truth? I think about my own life and uh, whether I'm a truth teller. I think, what, what are the things that tempt me to not tell the truth? Well, if I'm in trouble for something, I'm inclined to lie or dissemble. If I want other people to think well of me, that's a time I might exaggerate or perhaps minimise something that makes me look bad. Perhaps in business practices, it's going to cost money if you tell the truth. Do I lie when the truth is inconvenient? Do I lie when the truth will get me in trouble? Do I lie when the truth will make me look bad? Or am I a truth teller? Here's another question. Here's another question that we should be asking ourselves. Am I a person who does what he says? Who keeps my promises? Do do I do it with little things? If I say I'm going to be there at 10 a.m., do I make sure that I'm there at 10 a.m.? Don't send a text at 10.01 saying I'm coming in 10 minutes later, 10 minutes later. If I say I'll put the garbage out, do I put the garbage out? Do I tell the truth? Do I, do, do I keep my word in the little things? Do I keep my word in the big things? Can I be trusted with money? Am I faithful in marriage? Do, do you get the point? If people are going to believe our message, they'll need to believe us. So are we the sort of people who can be believed? Are we truth tellers? People who faithfully do what we say? It's very important, friends, that we be trustworthy. But having said all of that, the reality is that even with our best intentions, our plans sometimes gang a glare. We can't always do what we say. We can't always keep our promises. I had a very big reminder of this just uh, two weeks ago. On Easter Monday, I'd got these great tickets to go with my children and some friends to the rugby told them all and we planned and booked to head off to the rugby and then on Tuesday I'd booked three meetings with different people including one potential student who's perhaps going to join us next year Wednesday Thursday Friday I had more meetings booked included including I had people invited to come to my house for bible study on Wednesday night I told lots of people that I'm going to meet with them lots of people had you know filled in their diaries and made plans they were relying on me to tell the truth and then Monday morning I tested positive for COVID 
I had to send about 20 emails rain-checking people. My children and my friends went to the footy without me. Hope you had a nice time. (laughs) We had to cancel Bible study and I had to move some meetings onto Zoom from face to face. Uh, That's life, isn't it? I I don't think I did anything particularly wrong, except hanging out with people who gave me COVID. (laughs) I didn't do anything particularly wrong. That's That's just life in a fallen world. It's funny that the bloke who thinks he gave it to me was very apologetic after the first talk this morning. (laughs) That's just life in a fallen world, a world where lots of things are beyond our control. In this world, you can't always do what what you say you'll do. But friends, we don't want our failure to keep our word to reflect on God and his word. And that's what Paul's doing here, isn't he? He's making that contrast. He's using it as a teaching moment. We don't want our failure to keep our word to reflect on God and his word. So if you are dealing with someone who's looking to you as a Christian or someone that you're sharing the gospel with or someone you're trying to talk to about Jesus, there may be times when you can really learn from what Paul says here in this passage. There may be times when you should say something along similar lines. You should say something like this, I'm really sorry I didn't keep my promise. But you need to know that God is not like me. God always keeps his promises. When God says, if you trust Jesus, he'll forgive you and give you a place in heaven, he's telling the truth. And unlike with me, nothing's going to stop him from keeping his promise. Can you see how that that contrast can be a teaching moment? And friends, that, that can be a real opportunity. It's an opportunity again to say again that we Christians... We're not claiming to be better than anyone else. We're not saying we're good people. No, no, we're saying we are sinners. We are sinners who need Jesus. That's actually the message we want to give. We are sinners saved not through what we do, but through what Jesus did in living and dying and rising again for us. And so can you see, even our failures can become an opportunity. An opportunity to contrast God with us, to point people to Jesus rather than to ourselves. Our friends, God is not like us. Unlike with mice and men, his schemes never gung a glare. Every promise that God has made to us through Jesus, he will keep. Nothing and no one can stop him. He'll keep the promises he's made through Jesus. His word can be trusted. And so, friend, you and I, we can confidently stake our lives. We can confidently stake eternity on God's promises in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can say amen to your promises and know that you will keep them. Thank you that in Jesus you've done everything it takes for us to be forgiven and cleansed and given a place in heaven. Help us to trust in him and help us to trust in him with great confidence, knowing that your word is true. We pray, Heavenly Father, you help us to be people of truth, because that's right and good to be people of truth, but also because we know that our lives reflect on the truth of the Lord Jesus. Help us to be people of truth. But even when we can't be. Help us to commend Christ and to commend your truth. And uh, please help us in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.